For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Welcome in to another edition of the JMU Sports News Podcast. I am Bennett Conlon, joined by Jack Fitzpatrick. Jack, we saw the Dukes win a game. You know, we could talk about that, or we could just talk at length about Ben DiNucci signing to the XFL Sea Dragons. I was thinking we could just talk exclusively about that huge signing coming out of Seattle today. But if you want to talk about JMU beating ODU um, in a complete dominating fashion, I'm, I'm down to do that too. Yeah, originally I thought there was the Dragons. And then I saw there was they were the Sea Dragons. They used to be the Dragons. In XFL 2.0, they were the Dragons. And now in XFL 3.0, they're the Sea Dragons. That's confusing. But congratulations to Ben DiNucci for uh, for you being know. a sea dragon. We all grow up wanting to be a sea dragon, and I'm glad his day has come. But yeah, we, we went to the ODU game this last Saturday down there in Norfolk and watched JMU absolutely obliterate the Monarchs um, from start to finish. Todd Santeo played a fantastic game. But I don't know if we necessarily want to get too far ahead of ourselves uh, talking about that game when we have some really important information to bring with you guys. We have a Harrisonburg exclusive three-notch beer drop on Friday. Sweet potatoes casserole. I'm a little skeptical, but I'm looking forward to, to trying it out and seeing how it goes, right? I think it'll be pretty good. It drops I Friday when we're there. The first day it's on tap is when we... We're going to have to try it. Now, do we try it with us each getting one? or no, we get a flight and we put it in the flight. That could be an option as well, sure. That would make a lot of sense. I, I do think their second deal here, scrolling across our screen... Is pretty darn exciting though. Every game day, you'll have exclusive five dollar Duke of Clouds. Good beer, good price. Can't really complain about that. So I'm stoked about that. Interested, highly interested. <laughs> Sweet potato casserole. So I'll give it a shot. Right, I don't want to be too much of a skeptic here. Yeah, we'll tweet our breakdown. And also with much, I think Duke of Clouds is their play on Emperor of Clouds. We went to the Richmond Tap Room yeah. three notch here. Emperor of Clouds was fantastic, so I imagine Duke of Clouds is something similar in that, yeah. Um, but just slightly different. Probably like a different hop. Like instead of Citra, they use Mosaic, or instead of Mosaic, they use like Galaxy. Um, those are the three hops I know off the top of my head. Beer dork. Uh, <laughs> and then another dorks is that Bet Online is here and basketball is back. And Bet Online remains your number one source for all of your sports betting needs. This basketball season, you'll always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. And as your continued source for all sports wagering information, Bet Online features live betting, free contests, and giveaways all season long. Always the fastest, and it's always the easiest way to bet on all of your favorite sports and events. Whether that's NFL, NBA, NHL, MMA, tennis, boxing, even golf, folks. 
head to betonline.ag, that's betonline.ag, to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Just make sure to use promo code BELIEVE, promo code B-L-E-A-V, to receive your rewards. Bet online where the game starts. Heck yeah. Oh yeah. I'm I'm very excited for sweet potato casserole though. Like what is that? Like that, that has to taste good for them to put it on the menu, but like how? That's a great question. Maybe maple leaf of some sort, some sort of it's gonna be a sugary thing in some way. Right? Yeah. It'll be think. very interesting. It'll be I mean they do biggie s'mores. You wouldn't think s'mores right. would translate well to right. a beer. Right. Well uh, we'll report back. Yeah, that's going to be something else. Um, that'll be an interesting one. But takeaways from the Royal Rivalry, the Oyster Bowl, as some were calling it, the biggest Oyster Bowl this side of the Mississippi we've seen in two decades. That's big, yeah. I hadn't heard that yet, but that's that's really cool. We were there, which was Indeed. fun. I would, <laughs> I would say my biggest takeaway, first of all, is that I very much enjoyed the ODU game day experience. Yes. I had a good time. I thought it was fun. I think their stadium where it's like, you know, it's not the biggest thing in the world, but it was, you know, even kind of on all sides. We talked about this a lot during the game. There are stands in both end zones, which I feel like Huge. definitely adds adds a, a nice element that I and like. And the really cool thing was in that, in the one side where it's like all sweets, the bottom was like almost, it felt like, I'm not entirely sure, but it seemed like it was a bar where like anyone yeah. could go and just like have standing room only. And you're like right in the end zone. That was really cool. I did describe it to you at one point as like close your eyes and like think of Bridgeforth and draw it from memory. Because um, it did kind of have that feel. But I, I too really enjoyed that that stadium. And I, it's just a nice little reminder, right? Of like, hey, we're in the Sunbelt now. Which I think is just so much better like for road trips. Like I, was, I would never have gone and like made a road trip with you and texted you and like, let's go let's to go Delaware. To yeah, let's go to Williamsburg. Like, I don't think that's one that's that exciting. This one has some level of stakes and it's probably as low as the stakes might get, hopefully, um, like long-term for the rivalry, right? With like ODU loses, so cannot go to a bowl. JMU wins, but is not able to go to a bowl due to transition rules. (laughs) Can't win the Sunbelt League. So like you would think in years, future years, it could have even more meaning. I would kind of love to see him stick it um, the last weekend of the year. Do you prefer... I mean, yeah, because it's an in-state rivalry. I think that would be the best, like, rival- rivalry week game. I was thinking maybe Marshall, maybe um, maybe Coastal. I mean, that's Coastal is the last game now. Maybe App. But I, yep. I think I think ODU is probably the best, like, the most natural one. That is if ODU is good and if we're good. Yeah. Yeah, Signetti afterward had some interesting comments, but among them um, was his comment about – you know, this is going to be a good rivalry, dot, 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 down the road. Because <laughs> they kind of stomped him a little bit. And they played well. I think the key to it is a healthy Todd and Teo, which I guess we can go off that a little bit. One of Signetti's other comments, I don't know if you watched the five-minute post-game interview he did. I watched bits and pieces, and I think I know what you're going to bring up. <laughs> you know, where he goes, you know, it wasn't healthy against Louisville. And uh, the plan we had was kind of run the ball. We got bigger things on our mind, get out of there and get him home. <laughs> it was like, oh, well, all right. Then. I didn't know you were just giving that game away, but that's cool that in hindsight, that was the strategy. I, that wasn't the part that stuck out to me. There was one piece where he was like, 
yeah, Toddy went out there and played a good game. He was only 80%, but I he like went out there. And I was like, so what was he last week? 66%, like, he said. <laughs> he said 66%. I didn't he said he was 66%. Now he's 80%. <laughs> Which it was also funny because I don't know if you listened to the players one. No, I didn't. None of those. Santeo was pretty funny in his like four minutes. Uh, they asked him a few things, but one of them they're like, if he was healthy, he's like, oh, I was fine. And he goes, and I was fine last week. And he made a big smirk. So I don't, <laughs> I don't know. They had their, their messages crossed on like what they were going to say about his injury. But it's that definitely feels like Todd thought he was good and like understood what coach was doing. If he had a smirk, it, yeah. it's, it, it has a feeling like he understands what Signetti was doing. Um, I will say, I wish Signetti was more transparent with us last week. So we weren't sitting here on the podcast right. going, well, they're. Now it makes us look stupid where Signetti's sitting there and goes, well, that was our plan the whole time. We didn't care, so why did you guys care? And it's like, well, if you told us not to care, I wouldn't have cared. Won't won't somebody think of the podcasters? I, you know? That's what I'm saying. <laughs> it's ridiculous. What are they going to talk about for an hour every week? I know. It's just you'd think he would do things more for us than he does. Yeah, but Todd Santeo, back to that. I mean, he won the Oyster Bowl MVP, coveted trophy that everyone wants to win once in their career, and he did it. Yep. Um, offensive player of the week in the Sun Belt as well. I mean, he tossed for over 300 yards. I don't think he had a touchdown pass. A little surprised he won that award. Who would you have given it to? I, I have no I idea. I just did... Walker. You would give him offensive player of the week. Oh, I thought you. Oh, you mean the that. Oyster Bowl? You're talking about the Oyster Bowl. <laughs> yeah, we're talking I about think... two completely different awards. <laughs> I think he was probably fine for that one. I was surprised without a touchdown pass that he won Offensive Player of the Week across the conference because he, he ran for one, but it wasn't like he. I mean, one touchdown and yeah. like 330 yards. He played well. His completion percentage was super high. I was just surprised that there was nobody else that they thought was um, in the mix. So I guess he's what he's played eight games where he's been healthy. They've yeah. said and he's won three of those eight or something, which is pretty, pretty he's, impressive. What do you think his odds? If we were Vegas, we're setting the lines for offensive player of the year in the Sun Belt. It's really, it really comes down, in my opinion, to Grayson McCall and Todd Centeno. Centeno battered against um, Louisville, didn't, and then what before that was Marshall. He didn't play, um, and then Call likely to miss these final two weeks. Who who do you, what what's the, what's the line? Where do you make in Todd Santeo to win? Is he the favorite? Is he not the favorite? Does he have to do some more in these last two weeks? I think if JMU wins out, I think it'll be him. Assuming okay. McCall can't come back, because you'll have the last three games McCall doesn't play in. If JMU wins out, they finish atop the East. So I think it's pretty easy to look at the East, and then you kind of look over uh, at the West, and you look at like Troy, and Troy is like atop the West, and they score yeah. like eight points a game, so they're not going to have the guy, you know. So you kind of look at the top of the divisions, who's the better player, Centeno. You also add in the fact that without Centeno, they're horrible offensively. Yeah. So I think he's got a pretty good chance. We can talk about that in a little bit because he did, he did miss one drive, and the drive didn't end very positively for JMU. So he's been playing great. If they can, I mean, rolled his ankle a little bit in this this game over ODU. So hopefully you can get him back. But when he's healthy, they're one of the best group of five teams in the country because they can really move the ball and the defense is pretty good. It is kind of hilarious. The drop off this team had and like at such an aggressive rate because yeah. before he gets injured, he he's on pace, of course, to win offensive player of the year in the Sun Belt, this, that, and the other. And the offense is one of the top 15 units in all efficiency metrics 
in the nation. And he misses the Marshall game, and they just plummet. And then what happens in the Louisville game, they're right now sitting at about, I think when I was doing my research, 68th in the nation in offensive efficiency. And that, like that's just such a far drop. And like when Centeno's healthy, that's not what this offense is. Yeah, they're, they're so much better when he's healthy. He makes so many good throws. He can extend plays. Um, it just gets everything going. And then they, I would say they can't stack the box. ODU is still stacking the box. Well, yeah, let's talk about that. Well, two things. Going back to that rolled ankle, I don't think they talked about it on the broadcast because a few people were texting me during the game about, like, is yeah. Centeno out? I don't think they, re- I don't think the broadcast realized he rolled his ankle on that play. So if you didn't realize that watching the game, he did roll his ankle is what it looked like and appeared to be in some pain, heavy limping, missed the final drive of the second of the first half. And then at one point, Barnett was warming up coming out of halftime, helmet on, and it looked like Barnett was going to start the second half. Um, but I guess they taped up Centeno well, or maybe I'm looking too much into Barnett, just throwing the ball around coming out of halftime. Um, but that is that something we should worry about moving forward, or do you think that was just one of the things where you roll your ankle, you tape it up, you get a week off, or you get a week of rest, um, and you'll be good to go on Saturday? He said post game that it was sort of a, a thing where it's like he's probably going to be banged up with, you know, his shoulder oblique and now ankle the rest of the year. (laughs) And uh, he just seems like he's going to gut throw it as much as he can, right? Like if he can walk or jog reasonably and and throw the football, he's going to play. So it kind of depends on, I guess, what percentage you can have him at, but I mean, Georgia's apparently 66% or 80% was a huge difference. (laughs) Also the difference in 66 to 80 (laughs) is not that like, he was at like, that was like a 50 to 80 jump. At least it was massive. (laughs) But I mean, when he's healthy, like there's some things he can do in the short passing game where he doesn't necessarily need like a ton of shoulder strength, but he can stretch the field deep when he does have his shoulder healthy, which is helpful because they did hit a couple deep balls in the game. So if he's healthy they're they have a good chance of winning the last two. If he's banged up, it's going to be a little bit iffier, but I, I understand why they were going to go with a banged up Todd Santeo over other options. Yeah. What, what is that other option? What, what made you think that? What I think that's think the they need to go with Todd Santeo over, you know, maybe a healthy Billy Atkins. What 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 made you think <laughs> that during the game? I think it would have been interesting had Santeo not been able to come back from like a future of Jamie football perspective, even though I think we both think they're gonna bring in transfers at the quarterback position. Yeah, probably but, 15 of them, honestly. <laughs> but it would have been really interesting because Atkins comes in. And his first snap, I think, was the scramble where he had it a nice was. like ten yeah, he had a nice ten yard run. It was like, oh, sweet. Like he, he knows how to sort of evade pressure and he knows he how to evade pressure, ran for a first down, and then he threw a really bad interception. Like a really bad interception. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if it was apparent on the broadcast, but from where we were sitting, Chris Thornton finds the hole in the zone and just is running wide open like no one is within a 20 yard radius of this man and Atkins rolls out has him in his line of sight and fires it directly to the linebacker maybe the worst interception I've ever seen it was bad it was one where like if he gets it out earlier on the line drive like it probably works or he's just got to float it over like yeah yeah it just wasn't a good throw kind of a bad read if that's the throw you're making so that was that was tough Plus, his performance in the Marshall game obviously wasn't great. So I think I don't think you can midseason like completely change his confidence and get him rolling. So 
but it, it was interesting because he was sort of understandably, I think a little disappointed in himself on the sideline, but then it, it did seem like Barnett was tossing the ball around a little bit. Signetti said in the post game that going like into halftime, he was worried about Centeno. And then like, as they came back onto the field, he asked him if he was like ready to go. And he was like, let's roll. So I, then he was like, okay, fine. We'll just go with Todd. And, and it worked out obviously pretty nicely, even though he wasn't a hundred percent. So yeah, they kind of need a healthy Todd to, to win the last two because I think Georgia State and Coastal are too, too competent to to play with a backup and win. I think yeah. I mean, I I don't think JMU. I think if JMU is playing with not Todd, they win maybe one Sun Belt game this season. Like, I think the drop off from Todd is extreme, and maybe I'm overreacting to it based on of based off of recency. But I think it's an uphill battle. So if Todd doesn't play, I think they lose both of these games. With that being said, I think if Todd plays, this defense is so good, and we saw what they could do against ODU, and they didn't let them – I mean, their field goal came because of that interception from Billy Atkins right before the first half ended. So, like, they pitched a shutout, really, for that game against an ODU offense that isn't great, but it's not that bad. It's pretty bad. Yeah. and But it, they, it was still it was still a very good performance. You're right. And they didn't have their key, like, stud yeah. wide receiver, who if he was in, I think they probably put up 14 points. Um, but, I mean, we just have to talk about that defense for a second. I, they're one of the top units in the nation with every single regular metric, advanced metric, one of the best against the run. Um, they don't let you do anything within the box. They're going to shut you down. Their only weakness is their secondary, but their defensive line gets pressure and forces quarterback – I think what we saw in the ODU game, which was really good, they weren't necessarily getting to Hayden Wolf all that often. They got a couple big sacks in big moments, but they get enough to him where he have to move his feet and he'd have to bring his eyes from downfield and bring them in and check the pocket and try and evade pressure and just kind of throw him off of rhythm, which is going to be really big moving forward in these next two games, especially if Grayson McCall plays in that season finale against Coastal. But that's where you can get the JMU defense is that secondary is the passing attack. But I mean, as long as that front seven is playing so well, I'm not sure that the secondary will get all that exposed. I'm just, I'm very excited about the team. I know there are only two games left, but even the future looks so bright. And I think the defense is, is playing so well. And and the points like Signetti has made about the lack of depth, I think some of it is true, but I also think it sells short the fact that like they've got some really good players. Like they had Devin Coles come in late and rip away an interception. Jordan White came in and ripped away an interception. Like they were playing really, really well. They have some of their like lower level, I guess you could say defensive linemen who aren't necessarily the starter on the two deep that I thought played well. Like they, they go deep Jalen green on the edge going back and watching some of it. Like in person, I was like, Oh, I, I feel like he could have made some more plays. And then, like you mentioned, like they're putting like two guys on like yeah, a two hundred double teamed. He was getting like yeah, chipped by tight ends or whatever as a two hundred forty pound edge. And then he also still had a lot of like big time plays where he either forced a pressure or got close. Uh, had some tackles for loss in this one. I think he had one tackle for loss, but he he played well. And then like oh yeah, they just throw in Aiden Fisher, a linebacker I had not heard of, who finishes like five tackles and was a beast. <laughs> yeah, the freshman who like. All the talks been on Trey Hendricks and like his role in stepping into that linebacker room. And then this kid just steps in and it's just like, no, it's my time to shine. If we want to run three linebacker sets, we can run three linebacker sets, which 
wouldn't be a bad idea, I think. But at the same time, yeah. like a fantastic just overall performance from top to bottom, left to right, every single way you can cut it. It was a great defensive performance. It was a really good offensive performance. We saw Chris Thornton have a really good game, which is something we haven't seen for quite some time. With Reggie Brown, not sure how long Reggie Brown's going to be out, but seeing Chris Thornton come in and be really, really solid and, and they get him the ball in, in good ways will be interesting to see kind of how Devin Ravenel factors in moving forward and Terrence Green without Reggie Brown. I feel like they were just really reliant on Thornton and passes out of the backfield. So we'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah, for sure. And, and just going back to linebacker for a second, it's Please like, do. Oh, they have Please Taurus do. Jones and Jalen Walker. And then you mentioned Trent Hendrick and they have now Aiden Fisher. And it's like, Oh, well, that will be cool to watch them sort of, you know, step in for the veteran guys who are leaving. It's like, Oh, Taurus Jones, redshirt sophomore, Jalen Walker, sophomore, like to have those guys. And then like freshmen underneath them is very impressive. And then you obviously knock on wood and cross your fingers and do some sort of jam- dance and hope that nobody uh, tries to grab them in the portal because they're so <laughs> – so, I mean, they've got some some really impressive guys, and I'm excited to see them develop over the years because their defense, assuming they can do a good job like keeping the guys who are supposed to return returning, are going to be – it's going to be a phenomenally good defense next year, especially if they add some freshmen who can make an impact, add some transfers who can make an impact. Like, they're going to be really good. And then it sets you up for an off season where like you do anything at quarterback and you get competent quarterback play next year. And they're going to be one of the best teams in the Sun Belt, at least on paper. They just have so much returning, so much good talent that they have barely even shown this year that I'm just really impressed with them overall. And then a, a quick shout out to Camden Wise, who I think has gotten some heat from the fan base, including us. He I'll, was all awesome. beat. I was I was on the front line of the Camden Wise hate. I will say that. He was phenomenal. Phenomenal in this game. He was four three for, four. for three. No, those are the PATs. Three for three. Four for four in the PATs. That's <laughs> that's impressive. And then there were a couple spots where I was like, oh man, like this could turn the tide if they miss the field goal. And he connects from what? There was like a 20 yarder, which was pretty short chip shot, but then 33 and 44, career long, 44. Yes, it was really impressive. Was yeah, was it was good. good. Yeah. I was pleased. I was happy. Sure. Yeah, I would good. love I want to see see it string together. I'm not I'm not gonna go all aboard that as as the leader of that hate train, which probably isn't something I want to tout actively. I'm all aboard now. Um I'm I'm still patiently waiting at a stop down the line to get on this hype train. Fair enough. I was also impressed if we're talking about young guys. Wayne Knight at running back. Can we talk about Latrell Palmer? Not like I thought that was moved, interesting. Getting moved. Was it a match? Do you think it's a matchup thing or do you think it's Wayne Knight jumping over him in the depth chart? No, he's still got um he's still got some good reps compared. I guess in Knight garbage didn't time, though. Knight didn't even technically have a carry, he just had the thirty two yard catch and a kickoff return. So I would say he's still he's still there, but Latrell four carries for twenty four yards is pretty pretty good when they used him. <laughs> um but it's interesting because I think Percy and Kalon, the explosiveness is hard to match, but Palmer did have a couple good runs and his power is solid. So I like it when they can can mix it up. So like for future years, if you can have Kalon and Wayne Knight as sort of the faster guys and you can mix in Latrell next year, like that sounds like a pretty darn good running back room. So there's a lot to be excited about there. Interested to see how they use Latrell the last two weeks, especially being at home because this was like 75 and and sunny. It was like literally, I mean, it was just a perfect day. 
in uh, in Norfolk. So really good stuff there. But as it gets a little colder here and it's more like winter football and in, in late fall in Harrisonburg, I wonder if Latrell and sort of his physical style fits what they want. Yeah. I think it'd be a lot of fun. I realized for our podcast listeners, you can't see my face off that. I think that'd be a lot of fun. Um, moving from that game, keep the, keep the wheels churning. Georgia State's up next, who, after having an abysmal start to the season, and I don't know if it was necessarily abysmal. Um, CBS Sports put them in their not top 25, which was their 25 worst uh, college football teams. They were in there for the first couple weeks of the season. A tough loss to Charlotte early on. Um, first couple of weeks, they were a blocked punt here or there away from winning games. And then all of a sudden the tide turned and they were 0-4. Then they rattled off, I think, three straight wins, something like that. But they're 4-2 over their last six and they're sitting at 4-6 and six on the season. Yeah. Win their last two. All of a sudden this team is bowl eligible and could go bowling for the fourth straight season. Um, what are you? What are your expectations for this game? What do the Dukes have to do to stay competitive? I mean, imagine with Todd Santeo, they will be competitive. Yeah, Georgia State can run it a little bit. I think the thing with them that's probably worth noting the most is just like they have two losses that aren't great. And their Charlotte. other losses, yeah, Charlotte, which came by a point, but like can't happen. And uh, Louisiana Monroe at home, ULM, this Last past week, right? weekend. Yeah. So those are tough. But the other ones like South Carolina, North Carolina, Coastal Carolina, I mean, my God, they hate the Carolinas. And then you look at App State, also a team from North Carolina, and you're starting to wonder, Charlotte from North Carolina. <laughs> you know, they're pretty good when they're <laughs> when they're not playing teams. What? They're undefeated <laughs> against teams not in Carolina, in a Carolina, huh? Until until this weekend oh, when you yeah. all Monroe got them. But hey. That was, it's just a weird little coincidence. But they, yeah, you're four and two right in the last six. They've definitely played better. Uh, but you can still get them a little bit. I think their defensive efficiency rankings are actually respectable. I think ESPN has them at like 60th in the country. Their offense kind of struggles, which I think is is maybe due to a lack of a consistent passing attack at times. But it's gotten better the last few weeks. Not a pushover by any means. Like Jamie has to go out, focus, execute well. It can't look ahead to Coastal. And you got to play well to win. But I also think they probably have a more complete football team than Georgia State does. Yeah, Georgia State is like good. They're like okay, which is an interesting yeah. drop off from last season. Like they were one of the better teams in the Sun Belt last year. And then this year they're just like there. Um, I think that's pretty accurate. If this is a game like Georgia Southern, like Marshall, where they're turning it over a lot, Georgia State is a team that is going to make you pay. Like, they're going to win this yeah. game if you if you shoot yourself in the foot. So just don't shoot yourself in the foot, and you're good to go. What yeah, stats are you going to ping up? I think all the people wanted to know since you were trying to kill time. Yeah, here. I didn't know how long you were going to be out, so I was doing a quick in-game <laughs> men's basketball update. I was going on full hype train, so we'll just pull hit pause, and I'll get back to that in a minute. <laughs> oh, don't worry. Look. Look at one of those things oh, we have to hit. Oh, man. Is it historic just from like point spreads or have they never been 3-0 before? According, No, they've been to 3-0 a couple times during the <laughs> row era. <laughs> yeah, because he scheduled like four D2s. Um, no, I think the historic start is this is the first time they've ever scored over 90 points in their first three games. Well, make it four games. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, the boys. Well, they need three more points in four minutes, but I think it's doable. 
I played. They were three points away from scoring over a hundred in their first three games. Okay, but um, yeah, great breakdown and just a quick time. Hopefully, I don't cut out during this because this is what we actually get paid for. The three-notched preview, Georgia State's coming to town. Before I ask Bennett a question, I just want to kind of share some interesting stats and nuggets about Georgia State. They have the number one rushing offense in the Sun Belt, and it's led by Darren Granger, their quarterback. He's a transfer from Furman, seventh in the Sun Belt in rush yards. He's thrown for 16 touchdowns, thrown seven interceptions, passed for over 1,900 yards, and he's rushed for over 605 touchdowns on the ground he's the wheel that just spins and gets this rushing attack going and he's really important to it and we've talked at length about jmu's struggles against mobile quarterbacks so that's going to be a really interesting game within the game but we were talking about how they're just kind of a team that's there they're 52nd in the nation and expected points added 69th in offense 34th in defense but what's interesting is they're actually more efficient when they pass the ball than when they run the ball. They average 7.7 yards per pass and just 4.8 yards per rush. So it'll be interesting to see if they're able to take advantage of JMU's secondary because if they try to run the ball, JMU's defense is one of the most efficient in the nation stopping the run, I believe fourth in the nation in rush defense. So really interesting. But what do you think JMU needs to do in order to win this game and just and uh, stop Georgia State's chances of becoming bowl eligible? Yeah, I think the bowl eligibility is an interesting piece. I imagine Georgia State, they got to win their last two. Yep. Pretty motivated from that perspective, right? They have something to play for, too, as does JMU trying to finish atop the East. If JMU can stop the run, I think that that really puts Georgia State at a massive disadvantage from what they like to do offensively. Then you add in the healthy Todds and Teo. I'd love to see them get some other receivers other than just Chris Thornton involved. I think if JMU does that offensively, stops the run defensively, takes advantage of a solid home crowd. I think the Dukes can come out of this one with a win for sure. Awesome. We look forward to it. We'll be there uh, for this game Saturday, every game day, pouring $5 Duke of Clouds. Friday, when we're there in the tap room, they'll be dropping sweet potato casserole, a very interesting beer. So excited for that. Excited to experience Harrisonburg on a game day. My first time since 2019. Been a while. Yeah. I also want to hit you with the stat. JMU is the second best team in the Sun Belt, according to SB Plus and EPA. Who's first? Is it still App State? No. It's Coastal. It shocked me. No. It's not? Oh, it's probably Troy. No. South Alabama. South Alabama is the best team, according to all advanced metrics in the Sun Belt. My boys. They do have a very good team, so I, I could <laughs> see that, right? Their, their losses, four points to Troy and one point to UCLA, so that's a special group. Give me my respect. Here's a question. Yep. Is the West better than the East? Yes. Yes. I don't agree. I was thinking that the other day. I'm glad you brought that up. Yes, they have the they have the best team okay, in so South Alabama. You they think they're Troy. the best team even though Troy beat them? They have Troy. Troy's I, one of the top yeah. teams. Southern Miss. Although their bottom brings them down pretty drastically. I think the top of the West is probably better this year, right? I'd say that, yeah, the top is much, like, the top of the East isn't that good. 
You're not buying not... ranked Coastal Carolina. No, not without Grayson McCall, right? Like, yeah. Just... And even so, like, they've won all of these games, but they've all been like close and like within two possessions. I don't know. I'm not. I'm not fully in on Coastal. I I hear you there. I thought um, the the matchup with UVA would be really interesting. Obviously, don't know if it'll happen with with everything that went on in Charlottesville this week. So we'll see there. But I think UVA was favored in the game, which I thought was interesting because I know they've they've had some on field uh, challenges this year. So I think that would have been interesting. But they they might not end up having a buy. But I still feel like yeah, Coastal's definitely been beatable this year, and they've done a, like I think if you're you're Jamie Chadwell, like pat on the back, nine and one feels like through 10 games, like the best they could possibly do with how they've played. I think you were talking about it. I was talking back about the, yeah, the men's basketball boys. Now do we do some bell pick them? We can. Is it worth? Will, we'll have to say we have to take a quick break and we will be right back with some bell pick them. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants. They all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It's a rough night with technical issues, but we're back. For the Sunbelt Pick'em, this week's Sunbelt Pick'em, for all what we did last week, I haven't really even been keeping track. Um... I don't know. We'll have to look it up. But it's time. This week's Sunbelt Pick'em. Scrolling down to the Sunbelt here in the trusty ESPN app. Starting things off, Louisiana is taking on Florida State. Love Florida State in this game. The Seminoles are actually, I was was low on them early in the year. They're actually pretty good. I think a lot of people were low on Florida State to start the year. In fairness, I, I don't think they had a great start. They're seven and three they now. Know they know they got off to a good start. They did? Well, kind of. They won. I think they were like three and oh with the LSU win. And people were like, Mike Norvell, they're back. But then they lost like three in a row. Yeah. Okay. There's a point and where I remember was, everyone was like yeah. selling the stock on. Yes. Them. Um, all right. Yeah. I'm, I'm right there with you, Florida State. ODU App State. App State is also interesting. Florida State's just a 24 point home favorite. I don't know. I feel like that might, it, it should be more. Old Dominion App yeah. State. App State's a 15 and a half point home favorite. So I guess, and Shane Metland had, had written this in something and I didn't realize it. App State has two FCS wins. And you can only count one. Do they really? Bola, toward Bolo. They beat Robert Morris in the Citadel. So you have to have only one can count toward bowl eligibility, I believe. So I think they have to win their last two to make a bowl. And I think Marshall is actually in a similar spot because they beat like Gardner Webb and then somebody else which is fascinating. So I'll say App State, but it's interesting. They could go six and six, and it sounds like maybe not even being a bowl. That's amazing. Um, yeah. What a weird season for App. I think App State, though, does win this one after watching ODU in person. If they're without Jennings for another week, uh, that offense is incapable of moving the football. Uh, their defense is good, but not great, and was really wanting to stack the box against JMU, which wasn't the right choice. South Alabama, Southern Miss. Who do you got? I love South Alabama here. They're Correct just too choice. Good. They're too good. They're the best team in the Sun Belt, according to every single advanced metric, and they're a seven and a half point road favorite on NFL Network. 
I'm right there with you. South Alabama is winning that one against Southern Miss. Southern Miss, after a hot start, they're just 5-5 five and five now. Um, looking to get bowl eligible with uh, trying to get a win in one of their last two games. To become bowl eligible, I don't think it's coming against South Alabama. UL Monroe, Troy. Troy is a 15-point favorite against a UL Monroe team that just picked up a big win over Georgia State on Saturday. Yeah, I just I like Troy here. I think Troy's defense is too good. I think they'll they'll yeah. grind out a victory in this one. Most likely, yes, I agree. I, I think UL, UL Monroe has four wins, and it feels like every time it's like a random game that they shouldn't win, Yeah, and they just like don't know how to string them together. Uh, so I'm right there with you, Troy, as well. Arkansas State, Texas State, a battle of three and seven teams. Snoozer. Um, Texas State is a five-and-a-half-point favorite. I'll take uh, Arkansas State. I don't know. They both stink. I'll take Texas State, but I'll take Arkansas State to cover. Okay. Close game. Worth watching. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if a 10-7 game is necessarily worth watching, but sure. Marshall, Georgia Southern. Marshall, a four-and-a-half-point road favorite against Georgia Southern. Georgia Southern, what are you doing? You got to clinch bowl eligibility, my guys. They're struggling a little bit. They've been disappointing me. I think they bounce back and beat Marshall. They get their sixth win. I agree. I think Georgia Southern has what it takes to kind of pick apart this Marshall defense. Clay Helton is a damn good football coach. I think he'll have the scheme together to beat Marshall's elite level defense. Um, Will be a really fun game, though. So give me Georgia Southern plus four and a half. Georgia Southern money line. I like that one. All right. Do you want to pick the boys? Oh, duh. Man, I've, I've been slacking with something about picking. I know. JMU, Georgia State. Who do you got? I love JMU. I think JMU will win this game. 28 to 20. Really? You think we allow that many points? 28 to 20. All right. I think JMU wins 37 to 10. I love that. And I think we're assuming UVA doesn't play. Is that right? Yes. Okay. Smart. This might be the most important segment of the whole show. Are the, is the men's basketball team good? Are we going to upset UNC? I think probably by 15. So in all seriousness, they just won again live, just wrapped. They scored 95 against Howard. It was the yeah. closest game of the season. Final score was 95-69, I believe. Yes. Um, I mean, just, uh, huh? I mean, this offense is elite. <laughs> did Votto start tonight, or, or did he come off the bench again as, like, an elite level six man? Like, what's going on? I don't on? know. It's pretty hard to find these stats. But he played well. He had 17 and was 5 of 7 from 3. And Fredell led everyone with 23 points. And he was five of nine from three. Like, this team knows how to shoot. We've been talking about how this is a small ball team that can't shoot. And now all of a sudden they're a small ball team that can shoot that runs at one of the fastest tempos in the country and looks yeah. good. And the uh, one uh. weakness of UNC has been playing tempo offenses. Which is interesting because they typically like to fly. But they've gotten a little slower under Hubert Davis. They they aren't quite as good as that as they have been in the past. And they were also they haven't looked good. UNC. You tell all. me. You tell me, man. You right, break I thought it down. They were, how 
What's the recipe for JMU to pull off the historic upset this Sunday in Chapel Hill at the Dean Smith Arena? Center? I think it might be the center, but just show up. That's how bad UNC is. Just show up, and I think they're going to have a chance. UNC, they played UNC Wilmington. They end up winning by 13, but it was kind of a lackluster showing opening night of the season. It was competitive. They really just had sort of a little burst there uh, at the end of the first half that helped them pull ahead. And then they played the College of Charleston, which loves to run. And they were trailing by seven points at halftime. They ended up winning by 16. But they were trailing <laughs> by by seven at halftime. Now they're playing Gardner-Webb tonight. Do you think Gardner-Webb's any good? No. 26-22 UNC at halftime. That's what? Two and a half consecutive performances where they don't look like the number one team in the country. I think maybe we got a little bit too high on them. Weren't they like an eight seed that made a run? Yeah. Are they actually like a top team or are they more like the 20th best team in the country? Because JMU might be a top 50 team. You think they're you think they're that high? You think JMU's that good? I think they're definitely top 75. Okay. I think they're really good. They're right now they're at 92 in Ken Palm. That's before this performance. Like national people who like really pay attention to like the inner workings of college basketball. Not like the I'm not talking about like no offense. I'm not talking about like a Jay Billis who's like high level ESPN analyst, like the people that are like in the weeds, but also have like, like a, mid major a, madness. Like yeah. The people like that the, like watch Verm- like America East basketball. who yes. Understand that the fourth best team there could take. Yeah. 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 People like today are like, Oh man, I can't wait to watch JMU play. And it was like, Oh sweet. And then they won and people are like, Oh my God. Like, cause they just keep <laughs> the spread. will be like, Oh, they're, you know, supposed to win the game by eight and they're scoring a hundred points. So like if you're betting overs, or a JMU spread, you're like the happiest better in the world because I don't think their preseason like metrics line up at all with how good they're actually going to be. Yeah, can you explain why you don't think their met- their metrics don't add up? Is it the injuries from last season or what? I think it's the injuries. I also think it's really hard if you're like a Ken Palm or a bookmaker who's looking at Ken Palm or if you have your own model or whatever <laughs> to uh, <laughs> to um to adjust for transfers and, and how that impacts the team. So I think there's stuff like that where I think like Friedel's impact is maybe going under the radar. Even Offerum has been super efficient. So like those are, are stuff that maybe you can't anticipate. The other one is it's pretty much impossible when you have guys returning to be like, to just assume someone's making this giant leap. Like you look yeah. at returning production, but I don't think you can factor in this, this giant leap where it's like, oh, Terrence Edwards went from a role player to like, maybe one of the best players in the Sun Belt. Like, that's one you can't necessarily expect to happen. It's not a transfer addition. It's just like, oh, the guys on the team got better. Better. Like, Julian Wooden's been way more efficient, too. Thanks. so when you you talked about coming in in the year, right, that if he's more efficient, like, it can kind of change what they're doing a little bit. Wasn't he my pick to be most improved? Yep. So far, so good. I mean, I got to pat myself on the back on that one. Um but UNC, what they do really well, and I don't mean to be like grilling you with this and like like having you be like our oh, resident grill. basketball expert, but I'm I'm gonna be kind of asking dumb questions for you to answer for the audience for myself, because you've tuned in every single game so far this season. I have not. Um I'm excited. UNC is gonna be the first time I really watch this basketball team play a game. But I mean UNC, they have one of the best big men in the country, right? Isn't Armando yep. Baycott really good? Like, and what's JMU's weakness? Like, do you think there's a way that they can almost counter the strength of UNC by 
just pouncing on them with an efficient three-point barrage and up-tempo and almost render Armando Baycott useless? I think they can They can probably not render him useless, but I think they can <laughs> certainly limit him in certain ways. He's going to be really good, but at a certain point, it's like if he's scoring a bunch of twos, it's okay if he goes – like if he gets 25 and 15, I don't think that guarantees a loss because I think they can do enough to some of the other players – that would that give him a chance to to hang in there. They've also been without a player, and I got to jog my memory of the name. They've been without um, Puff Johnson, who's a good player for them. I, I don't know if he's playing tonight. I know he's like suited up at least, so I wonder if he'll be able to play against Jamie. That's certainly one. But they don't they don't go that deep right now. Like they don't seem they didn't quite go that, that deep last year either. Yeah, so it's like they're they're maybe not the deepest team in the world where you can wear them out just a little bit. But I think they have some guys like Caleb Love's extremely streaky. So coming into tonight, he was two of 13 from three. Like there are times where he'll shoot his team out of the game uh, for North Carolina. So yeah, they have Baycott, who's a beast. But at the same time, you've seen a little bit this year that I didn't know was was necessarily possible of Offram hitting threes. I think he knocked one down against Buffalo. A willingness of him to take them, Sule to take them. Amadi's probably not taking them. But the other guys, like if you're Baycott, he does. He's definitely not as comfortable defending away from the, basket, the rim. Yeah. So that's one where they can space it out with those guys and score. They can go in transition and maybe get some quick baskets. the The issue I think is North Carolina, like historically, is exceptionally good offensive rebounding and then scoring from right two point range down in the post. They're they're pretty darn good, and that's going to be really tough for Jamie, which has been a lot better this year. But Hampton, Buffalo, Howard. Not exactly the same post presence as North Carolina. <laughs> that was my next question. What what type of impact will it be going from playing these terrible teams, including a Division Three team, then you're going on the road into one of the most storied buildings in the entire country in a crazy atmosphere against maybe not stylistically maybe not even advanced analytically the number one team in the country but they have a one next to their name how much does that impact the psyche of jmu i think it'll be tough i think on the positive side depending on how this gardner web game finishes you have a unc team that like is probably wondering why they've not looked good for three games like they spent all offseason hearing about how they were a national title favorite how they're really good and you know almost won it last year and they had a nice little lead on kansas in that championship game that they, they sort did. of threw away and now maybe aren't as good this year. We'll see. But like, I just think there's a disconnect between the AP poll and what teams will actually be. So like Ken Palm has Carolina before tonight at 12 and it had him ninth going into the season. So I think there's like, if they didn't have the one next to their name, I feel like JMU fans would maybe be more confident, right? If it was, it was like number 17, North Carolina. Would they feel like last year's UVA game? Maybe not, because even even we on that, like before that game, we're like, we can win this thing because I think UVA was so bad. And it was obviously in Harrisonburg, which yeah. you can speak to. That that atmosphere, I think, played a pretty huge role right in the win. I mean, even Tony Bennett said afterwards where he was like, this, this atmosphere was kind of like Cameron Indoor, which I've never experienced Cameron Indoor. But that, that atmosphere was probably one of the most <laughs> raucous atmospheres I've ever been in for a sporting event. Um, so, yeah, it did. Yeah, with the UVA game, it was a completely different set of circumstances, 100%. I just wanted to throw that out there to you. I, I do think this is going to be a fantastic game. I, I think there's a – I think this will be closer than a lot of people expect. 
I, yeah. I think JMU will – I don't think JMU wins, but I think JMU will put a scare into UNC, much like Charleston did, and from the sounds of it, like what Gardner-Webb's doing. But it might be a little bit more of a sustained threat. And I'm going to say something that I hate when basketball analysts say and I make fun of. But, like, if JMU hits their shots and, like, plays their game, there's a there's a route where they win. Mm-hmm. Like, if they are shooting their season average, they might win this game. Yeah, I mean, I don't think But they it's... got that season average from playing Valley Forge. Yeah, they've certainly played some teams that are not great. <laughs> like, they haven't... Buffalo is, is no longer in the top 200. They were in the top 200 of Kenpom, but they've fallen out so they've they've you know played one non-d1 and then three games against non um top 200 teams i think the thing that's so interesting though and and probably way more important long term is they look like a very capable basketball team which in the sun belt yeah like they they're gonna have a legit chance to make the ncaa tournament like sunday's game is like fun because they're playing number one north carolina but in the end it's not it's not a huge deal because the schedule is so weak they would have to be so impressive to get an at-large berth that I, I don't think we're near like the, that conversation, but it's, it's one where it's like, I feel like we've gone into seasons before, especially during, I guess the row era, if you want to call it that, where, where there was excitement and there was talent. And then there were some non-conference results that were just like really demoralizing. So to have these sort of building up on top of each other ahead of conference play, it feels like the fan base is starting to be like, wait a second, like we might have some competent basketball being played. In years past, and I won't even just pile onto the Rowe era, even the early Byington era, I feel like in years past, granted we're kind of still in the early Byington era, in years past against Buffalo, that's a game you go on the road, and I wouldn't have been surprised if we lost. Mm-hmm. Like that That's one of those games that past JMU teams don't consistently win and also don't win by that margin. Howard's a game that they went in, and I wouldn't have been surprised if it was like a close game for some reason. But they yeah. went in and hung 95 on them. Yeah, they allowed 70. But, like, how much of that was garbage time? I, I really don't know. It's just, like, this is a team that is doing what they have to do. They're playing the schedule in front of them, and they're demolishing the teams in front of them. And that's all you can ask. Past teams wouldn't have done that. And that's why this is a historic start. Like, past teams, since the the inception of JMU men's basketball, teams haven't done this. And now they've done it for three straight games, hung 90-plus, and they are, what, seven points away combined from having 100 in each of their games? I think they're averaging over 100 a game this season. <laughs> right. Like, that's crazy. I think that's perfectly stated. Because, like, I'm, I'm looking at the schedule now from last year. And remember, they had that game. So early November, they go on the road to Eastern Kentucky, which finished the, the year 260 in Ken Palm. And they needed a late steal on an inbounds pass that led to like a, a Chuck Falden tip back to win by a point. And like, we were going crazy. All the fans were excited with the little clip on Twitter and they're celebrating the locker room to go from like needing like a miracle play to beat a, you know, non 200 team to going to Buffalo, turning the ball over like 20 times, missing a bunch of shots and like That's the 30 other piecing them. That's the other part. Like they didn't play a great game against Buffalo and they still demolished them. Yeah, it's like, guess how many turnovers they had against Buffalo? 27. 26. That's crazy. And they won by 30. <laughs> 35, like 26 turnover. Well, I don't know how you can turn the ball over 26 times and score 97. That tempo, 
can you check Ken Palm for me? Are they the number one tempo team? Tempo is up there. Their uh, their offensive possessions are eleventh. So I mean they're they're up there offensively, and they also forced thirty Buffalo turnovers. So really, you're only you're you're actually plus, plus, plus four. four on that, which is hilarious. <laughs> but like they made some mistakes and still absolutely destroyed a team. So I mean, there's a lot to like about this team because yeah, like you've said in the past, they've had these games where it's like, oh, they should take advantage of this. And they don't. Yeah. And now they're they're showing that maybe they're they're able to kind of do that, which is super exciting for them. Because last year, yeah, they had some games where it was like, oh, it'd be cool if they did that. They also lost motivation and then faded away toward the end. Oh, so who knows what they? It was sad. But they're good. I think they're good. Yeah. I think th- I think they're a really good team, and I think if they play a near perfect game against a UNC team yeah. that has come out for two and a half games they have a shot at winning. Now, if UNC plays a little bit better and JMU has 15 turnovers, I don't think they're winning. Like, JMU has to play a near-perfect game of basketball. um, Yeah. To pull the upset. But I think it's it's in the realm of possibility. And if you had told me two years ago, (laughs) JMU is going to go on the road against the number one team in the country and a win is in the realm of possibility. Now, I'm not saying it's likely, but like you can see a scenario where it happens, I would have called you insane. Like imagine in the row era, you're like, all right, they're gonna open the season three and zero against a D three team, and no one in the top two hundred. Then they're gonna go on the road against number one, and they, there's gonna be a chance they win. I would have been like, no, no, no. <laughs> right. But here we are, man. It's exciting. It's really exciting. I can't wait for that game, which we will also be at. Yeah, so if you're at the game, DM us, tweet us. I know oh, a yeah. couple people are there. We'll probably be pulling in like 30 minutes before tip, <laughs> like the way we've scheduled art, scheduled it. We'll be driving from Harrisonburg that morning. Yeah, it'll be tough. Down to Chapel Hill, and then from there, we don't know where life will take us. But um, <laughs> looking forward to that. It's going to be an insane journey. Um but we'll be in Harrisonburg on Friday, getting drinks at Three Notched, hanging out at some breweries around Harrisonburg. Um, be watching the game on Saturday. Be a fun time. Another fun time. Should, oh wait, what were you gonna say? Sorry. Should be truly a fantastic experience. Just real quick, I want to touch on women's basketball. Yeah. There's not much to talk about considering it was a win against Millersville a D2 school and then a win at home against Queens. Who's in the middle right. of a transition from being a D2 team. Um, now Queens men's basketball, different story. They were one of the best D2 programs uh, in the nation. Women's they were mid to low tier in the sack in the South Atlantic conference. Um, so essentially two wins against division two teams back to back, which is good, but anything you saw in those games, anything, any takeaways that uh, had you excited? Not too much. I mean, they've gotten, you know, some players who stepped up in those, but it's kind of hard to take a lot from that. So we'll see moving forward. I will say the non-conference schedule is way more manageable than I thought. So they've got a game against North Carolina that on the 20th also. So the, the men's team plays at noon at UNC and the women's team hosts UNC uh, Sunday at 2 p.m. So if you're watching like on streaming, pretty great day to be a Jamie basketball fan with both teams playing North Carolina. Uh, women's team, I think will have – their work cut out for them not that the men's team won't i think the men's do too 
the the women i think i have less hope because that's a that's a tough one i think north carolina like blew out tcu or something they have a really good team so that'll be tough but then like liberty has not looked great to start the season then you have vcu maryland eastern shore william mary hampton eastern michigan they've got some winnable games left so i'd like to see them go into conference play with some some quality momentum even if they aren't that competitive against unc so I need to see some more from them. I'd like to see some more from them because I think there's a ton of potential there. And then going into conference play when they when they add the uh, the Texas transfer, uh, Kobe King Hawaii is going to be pretty darn cool. So there's there's some I still have some hope. I think for them bouncing back yeah. and taking care of business the way they needed to is good. I think they're yeah, there's still hope. Sunbelt's not a good conference. Um, yeah. Non-con for all intents and purposes doesn't matter. And so if they can kind of figure things out and go into Sunbelt, I think there's a good chance they make the NCAA women's tournament. Yeah, but that's, that's a long fair. way away. But for sure, for sure, for sure. No volleyball, twenty-one and four. They're really good, man. They're really good. They clinched a spot. They they won. Correct me if I'm wrong. They won the Sun Belt tournament. Uh, Sun Belt regular season. Sun Belt regular season. They're one seed going into the Sun Belt tournament. Yeah. They have an RPI in the top thirty, which means they're sniffing around the at large, right? If they don't win Sun Belt. So yeah. really impressive stuff coming out of volleyball. And I believe they went five and one against the top three teams in RPI in the Sun Belt this season. So I mean they mm-hmm. kind of were the cream of the crop this year in volleyball. Didn't lose a game against the or a match against the Sun Belt East, which is cool. Damn. Yeah. But this leads me to this question. Apologies for the delay. I'm going to read it out loud. I thought, ben, I thought ben was going to read it out loud, but no, he was just not. I was going to, and I was processing in my head. <laughs> what sport does the Sun Belt move benefit the most? This was a question, or I guess not a question. It was kind of a statement put up by Shane Metlin on Twitter the other day. Um, he, he raised some really good points because I, I had a little bit of a answer, a sassy answer back to him via quote tweet. But his response made a lot of sense. But I wanted to kind of bring it up into the podcast because I thought it was a really interesting um, – Jumping off point for conversation. I think the Sunbelt move has benefited football the most. But what Shane was saying is that the RPIs around the entire Sunbelt are so much higher on average that when they go and they win, they go five and one against the top teams in the Sunbelt and they're winning some of these other games against the Sunbelt East, it raises their RPI. They were never this high in the RPI, I believe, the last three times they won the CAA they were in the 80s in RPI um and now they're all the way up into like it, it, it helps the program a lot so I get what he's saying 100% I still think though football is the number one sport it helps because football isn't getting a top 25 ranking in the FCS I think it's football right they just beat Old Dominion at Old Dominion like that's a, a huge deal and I think some of it is like it's hard to take it out of being like football you know like football is just huge in general so anytime football does anything, it feels big. And but football's I think that, top twenty-five. <laughs> like, that was yeah, making the, making the top twenty-five was massive. Being able to play those rivals means more to the overall fan base for sure. I think the the point that's, I think the Sunbelt, the reason the Sunbelt move is so important is like, it really benefits you. This is kind of obvious, but like if you can win, like if really? you have if you have a special team, and you go out and and like ball out whatever your sport is it's going to be rewarded more in the sunbelt 
like and softball too. You could argue yes. like if softball's really good, it'll benefit softball the most because they're ho- hosting a super regional instead of just a regional or getting snubbed for hosting a regional after winning the CAA. Like because you're playing top mid majors, Louisiana and no the Raging Cajuns. Which team is the really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's the Louisiana that the Raging Cajuns are. This is this is going to confuse me a lot as we move deeper into Sunbelt play and like <laughs> in the next years, the difference between Louisiana Monroe and the Raging Cajuns going to throw me for a loop so many times. But like in softball, it means in 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 baseball too. Granted, baseball was kind of a really strong, like a strong. That's another sport. one though, where it's like you got to win. Otherwise, yeah, it's like yeah. you're going to it's going to reveal things a lot about Jamie's athletic programs. Like, I think this one reveals a lot like, oh, Lauren Steinbrecher, like one of the best coaches well in Jamie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, like that's pretty darn impressive, like that they've been able to maintain this in a slightly harder league and, and maybe even go above maintaining it. So huge for them. But, yeah, I mean, it's I don't I don't think it's hard to. I don't think it's hard to argue that, <laughs> that that football benefits the most. Just be like, if football has that level of success or like loses three games, it can still be like a crazy successful season. So I think clearly there's just absurd benefits for football, but I do think there's at least an incremental bump for volleyball. Yeah. And I think we'll see a bump in softball and baseball yeah. and, and things like that. But I thought it was a really interesting question, but I think, yeah, football, Mainly because I just can't get my head like volleyball is never ranked. I'm not saying that as a slight to them. Like football literally moved to the Sun Belt and got ranked without actually doing that much in hindsight. With <laughs> none winning, of the teams they beat were good. <laughs> with winning four games in the FBS, and like the best one is going to be an App State team that like might not play in a bowl. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that's not something that's happening in in the FCS. No. And it's like you can't have those like little season things as much in the FCS, like the polls there, like whatever. But you can't like the AP. Um, excuse me. <laughs> you like the polls? Some of those FCS polls are very well thought out. <laughs> okay. But they um like the AP Top 25 poll has that historic uh, meaning so like the getting in the FCS fan nation poll is pretty historic too that one, the funny part is that one's like significantly better than the coaches poll. I, I was gonna say <laughs> one is significantly better I also would argue the FCS fan nation bowl is more thought out than the AP oh, top sure. 25 because they the FCS fan <laughs> nation poll never had JMU after losing to Marshall like losing to Georgia Southern with like two votes right because like, <laughs> a voter just forgot <laughs> they were also like really thorough with the rationale whereas there's no there's nothing that requires like an AP poll voter to share any reasoning they just <laughs> submit it and they're like I think this happened in basketball or I think it was basketball somebody accidentally put Arizona State instead of Arizona and they like had it slip through. Like that's that's hilariously bad. <laughs> like, oops, you just added the state. Receiving votes, Arizona State, 0 and 16. How'd that happen? Yeah, what the what is going on here? <laughs> Did the Sun Devils have an inside man? Um, <laughs> anything else you want to add before we get up on out of here? No, we have the greatest weekend of our lives coming up, so it's pretty exciting. Get ready for it. JMU takes on the Georgia State Panthers. 
Saturday, 2 p.m. kickoff. Mm-hmm. Bennett and I will then be hitting the road Sunday morning to get down uh-huh. to Chapel Hill for a noon tip <laughs> between the Dukes and the Tar Heels from the Dean Smith Center slash arena. I forget which one it is. We should probably figure that out. I have your ticket on my phone. but um, Dean Smith Center. Dean Smith Center. We'll be there at noon, probably rolling in at like 11 or 11.30, depending on what time we get on the road. Um, but it's going to be a great weekend. Three notched on Friday. Um, brewery hopping Friday. We'll see what the night does with us. But until then, that sounded so weird. Uh, for Bennett Conlin, my name's Jack Fitzpatrick. Thank you guys for tuning into the JMU Sports News Podcast presented by Bet Online and Three Notched. Exclusive beer drop Friday, sweet potato casserole. Everyone's been clamoring for it. It's here, folks. Until next week. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.